Hi, I'm Wendy Dickinson. I'm a mergers and acquisitions coach with Ascend to Sell. I specialize in coaching business owners who either want to sell the business they have spent years building or grow through an acquisition. I coach my clients to adopt mindset and awareness techniques in positive leadership, stress management, and maintaining their sense of purpose through transitions. Today, I'm here with Mike and Patricia Pauly. I met the Pollys a number of years ago while on vacation. Our families clicked. Everybody liked everyone else. Listeners, the Pollys have a nick for implementation and execution. Both approached the leadership roles within their company, partnership, and family with a growth mindset and a highly developed situational awareness. So if you're feeling stuck, our conversation today may provide some inspiration for your next steps. So Mike and Patricia, if you would, please introduce yourself to the tribe. Michael Pauly. Well, hi, Wendy. I'm Patricia Pauly. <laughs> hi there. <laughs> so I'd like to start with a question that I ask everyone who visits, and that is, what was your first paying job? Let's see, my first paying job was I worked at La Rosa's Pizzeria when I was 16, 17, before I went to college. I was my first, and I'm pretty sure it's my only real job I've ever had other than working for ourselves. Oh, that is so interesting. How about you, Patricia? Um, beyond babysitting, my first job was at McDonald's. Interesting. So you both had uh, some food service experience. So what did the two of you learn from those jobs? I don't want to be in food service. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, I think it was management for me. I mean, I started off um, just as a line cook, and then I left in about, I don't know, 16 months as the assistant manager for the, uh, for the kitchen. And that was, I think, the last time that I actually got a paycheck, if I can remember correctly. Wow. How about you, Patricia? What did you take away from McDonald's? Um, you know, it was a... An interesting experience dealing with the public for the first time. Um, but from that work experience, I learned McDonald's emphasis on customer service. Mm. Uh, the customer was always right. Every transaction mattered. Um, it was a level of attention to detail and ensuring customer satisfaction. Wow, that's really interesting. And what valuable lessons to take into the future. So now I'd love it if the two of you would tell us about um, what happens next in your career and, and where your career paths took you. Well, we worked a variety of jobs to put ourselves through college. Um, we were together at that time and uh, paid for college on our own. So there were points at which either of us or both of us would have had three jobs apiece. But if you fast forward from that, um, I'll let you tell the story. Well, we got started in our business relation in a strange way. We were in college, uh, poor college students like everybody is, and uh, we did not want to pay rent. Um, we thought paying rent was just something that was not uh, conducive to building equity and, and getting the best value for our money. So we concocted this idea that we wanted to buy some property. Well, you know, the poorest college student can't buy anything. Ultimately, we decided that... Uh, through a whole bunch of series of, of trials and tribulations that are not relevant, we wound up deciding that we wanted to try to buy a piece of ground to put a mobile home on. So we went up to uh, a local place and bought a mobile home, brand new. In fact, it had never been brought to our county before. 
of that size. And we bought a piece of ground that had 45 acres on it and decided to start subdividing it into five-acre tracks. And that's how we got into real estate development. Someone, we sold one of our tracks, and they, just, they asked us if we could build them a home on it. And I had some construction experience, and my father had uh, given me some more construction experience. So we ultimately wound up starting their home, built their home for them. And 25, 30 years later, we built hard to keep track of what we've actually built. So we went from home construction to remodeling um, existing rentals, and then at some point uh, having scattered lot rentals lost its appeal. It was just too hard to keep track of maintenance and showing. Mm -hmm. So we decided to sell everything and put all of our eggs in one basket and build, start building an apartment complex. That one apartment complex when we ultimately finished and we sold all of them together, we had one and a quarter million square feet of living space and we built over our lifetime. Someone added it up a little over two million square feet of buildings, apartments, foundations, homes, light storage, commercial, dentist office, office space. space. By the end, we had over 2,000 residents, 70 employees, um, 88 acres, that we took care of. In short, the story was boy and girl had hammer and needed to eat and uh, <laughs> built the apartments <laughs> in the end. So, you know, I don't think I've ever, I, I don't think I've ever heard the story in, in this degree of detail. And I have to say, it is just such an amazing journey. So out of curiosity, what happened? You, you ended up with all of that. And then what? We ended, up with, we ended up with all the apartments. So when we were done, and we just actually finished, we had just about 800 units. Um, we got out of construction. The only thing we built was ourselves. We were doing about $10 million a year in construction, and then we were also doing another $6 million in leases. Uh, when we finished them, uh, we really had no aspirations of next. We are just going to maintain it. And to be honest, someone came up out of the blue and said they'd like to buy it. But, you know, we never really thought about those lines. We're not really sure we wanted to. One thing led to another, and it took, a, you know, some soul-searching on our part. But eventually, we decided that, yeah, this is something we want to entertain. Uh, we were approached by a very large broker out of the largest, um, out of Indianapolis. We're in Bloomington, which is about an hour south of Bloomington. And over a period of a couple months, uh, they put it on the market. We wound up with five offers that were substantially larger than what we'd listed it for, far more than what we thought it was worth. This is in the uh, spring of 2007, which was when it was truly the height of the real estate market frenzy. Right. Uh, we wound up taking and accepting an offer that was worth far more than we thought it would have been worth on a normal basis. And we went from leading an incredibly hectic, live uh, where our phones basically ran nonstop. In fact, when we sold it the next weekend, we decided to take the kids to the lake just to kind of decompress. And I kept asking Patricia and she kept asking me if our phones were working because you'd go from getting, you know, 100, 100 plus emails a day to literally none overnight. <laughs> and it was a shock. Well, it was strange. We had no intention of selling though, Wendy. And so the M&A process really came on us as a complete surprise. And, and so I'm curious, 
given that and given all that the two of you have done side by side, shoulder to shoulder, how did your partnership evolve? Because I would imagine that was key to navigating the M&A process. Well, I guess before the sale started, we had evolved a partnership. I mean, we met when we were 15 and 17. Um, our partnership was really one of mutual respect and uh, complementary strengths and talents. I like to say that Mike is a jack of all trades and a master of most. And we had a pretty straightforward division of labor and just sort of used each other's strengths to make a really great team. You always hear about couples that work together and they have difficulty. We've never had difficulty. I mean, we've been together for basically our, all of our adult lives. Uh, we have very different strengths, very different weaknesses. We need each other as sounding boards. We kind of turn it off at night when we go home, but we still talk about it. I mean, we talk about work all the time. It's never really been an issue for us, and it's it's always interesting because there are people that think it's a big problem and, and have asked us that question, and for us, it's never really presented itself as a problem. You know, I think one of the best strategies we developed over time, do you remember we used to do those retreats? We do retreats periodically, yes. Uh, every two months or at least every once a quarter, we would tell, we would arrange child care for the kids, tell the staff that we were going on our retreat, we would turn off the phones, um, and then we would spend a day talking about the pressing issues at the office, the opportunities, and how we wanted to chart our course forward. And those days became really important. Wow. And, you know, that to me is, is the foundation and the key to a growth mindset. The two of you working together to explore that and taking the time, making the time for that, that planning, that strategy session, that retreat. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I think that is a really important thing for many business owners to consider. How did having a family influence your decision over the years? Well, when we started off, you know, it, you always hear the cliche, I work 100 hours a week. Well, we were. I mean, I would be at work, I would be at work at 5 and we quit at 10. And so we, Patricia was finishing up her PhD and teaching and, you know, we were for first, I don't know, 10 years? We didn't have children until we'd been married for 12 years together for 16. Mm -hmm. So truly... Uh, we postponed having a family in order to build the business for me to get my degree and get established in my career uh, apart from our business. Um, then when we had kids. Um, it did change a lot. It changed a lot, but we brought them to work. Uh, we built our office. was was set up to accommodate them. Uh, when we ultimately moved into the clubhouse, we built a 20,000-square-foot clubhouse. In our office, we built a suite in the back. The kids had their own room back there, kitchen, beds, the whole nine yards that was only accessible from Patricia's office and my office. So, you know, you, you, you try to come up with something that will work for everybody. Um, it did change the mindset, though, a bit, Wendy. In all honesty, there were risks that we took when we were younger without children that we would not have taken with children. And kids affect everything. When we sold our business, I was 45 and Patricia was 43. And, you know, it was an interesting 
time because we decided to take the kids out of school for a year and then we went on a very large trip across the United States. But because of the kids, we couldn't travel on our own. And, you know, that was probably the biggest thing that I think in retrospect that would be different would be when you retire, you have to have a plan. You have to have something to get out of bed every day. You can't go from running 100 miles an hour seven days a week, all the responsibilities that are on you, you know, as the, as the owners, to basically just sitting around. It's not good. It's not healthy. And I would recommend to anyone that's going to retire, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, i got things to mess around the house. I've got, you know, things I can fill around with. That's not the same. It's your brain that's the issue. It's not the physical time. It's, it's keeping your brain active and engaged. And it really wasn't until... I think in the last two or three years where we started picking up other projects again so that, you know, we started getting more involved as the kids have gotten older. Yeah, and, and you know, the the business that you sold was, I think all of us can agree, was a resounding success. And, and within that success, you built not only the business, but you built a partnership and you built your family. And, and so I'm wondering... Um, when you talk about having a plan, did you have a plan once the business was sold? Well, Wendy, we didn't plan to sell the business. Right. So. Yeah, that's, that's, that's That happened so fast. Yes. No, we absolutely did not have a plan. Yeah. And, and then we got, it was, it was a very unfortunate time because if you'll go back to 2007. Right. You know, the, the world was falling apart. The stock market went down by a significant percentage. You know, Madoff got in there. There was just problems all over the place. Yes. And it, it had some serious repercussions across the, for everyone, you know, not just us, obviously. So it, we did not have a definitive plan. It wasn't something we anticipated. And then in many ways, I think if, well, obviously, if we had had an opportunity, we probably would have done something slightly different. But, but you know, given that we were surprised to sell the business, yeah. we're shocked, actually, um, didn't have a plan, the environment we confronted in 2007 was one that made you not look to jump into something else immediately. That's a very uh, good point. A different environment, I think we would have had a different response. Yes. A little sense. bit of time for planning, we would have had a different response. Right. I mean, we can remember sitting in sitting in our bus with kids in bed at night out in some national we were in park. Wyoming. Sitting on the outside with the door open so you could watch the outside TV. Watch. I, I distinctly remember this, watching Lehman meltdown. I mean, what a crazy way to have a be on a vacation seeing the financial capital of the world, New York, going through such turmoil. So, you know, it was a tough time. It certainly was. And, and you know, I think um, this is a great opportunity for me to ask another question of you. And, and so often we talk about failure. And what you've just described with Lehman and the meltdown, I mean, that is an epic failure. But what about a failure, or maybe it's not a failure in your mind, but what someone else may have called a failure in in your lives. Have you had a failure? And, and if so, what did you learn from it? I've had a number of failures, but I mean, it, it's an unfortunate part of, you know, the human experience that, that people fail. That, that's one of the ways we learn the most. It's unfortunate. We'd love to be able to always say that we learn from our successes, which hopefully people do, but true lessons of life are often learned from significant failures. 
to me, the question is not whether you're going to fail. That's just as inevitable as if you're going to get out of bed. The question is, is so you have the failure, you stop, you recognize what happened, you evaluate it thoroughly to see what your culpability was and what could you be different. But the big issue with failure is what can I learn from it? Right. As an example, um, when we tried to get our first funding, we went to 20 banks. In 20 banks I was turned down. I just wouldn't do it. But instead of just saying I'm going to keep doing the same thing over and over, what became obvious to me was I needed to understand the issues uh, to determine what my weaknesses are and what the uh, vulnerabilities that the bank saw in our proposal and then con continue to refine it so that, in effect, I could answer the questions before they were asked. So, yes, I was taking each, each time we were turned down as a failure, but the ultimate goal was to learn from each failure so that the next time the presentation would be stronger and more key to the questions that I was assuming they would ask. Ultimately, we're successful with that, and I think that's that's something that's almost just universal across the spectrum. Is that if you, I mean, you got to acknowledge that you made the mistake. You got to figure out what you learn learn from it. But more importantly, in fact, the most important thing is the true failure is if you don't acknowledge the mistakes and learn from them and figure out how to improve for the next time. That's when the mistake is really paramount in my mind. What I used to say about failure was that you fail in proportion to what you try. If you try nothing, you will fail at nothing. Those if you are try big, you may I beg your pardon? It's, those are such wise words. Please finish, finish the quote. I, you're right. Oh, I just think that you do fail in proportion to what you try. If you try nothing, you will fail at nothing. If you try big, you may well fail big. But I completely agree with Mike that the way to look at those smaller failures is, an, is as an opportunity to learn so that you can anticipate and do better the next time. Yeah. I, again, such wisdom there. And you're right. And so often I think people um, experience a failure and, and have difficulties capturing that knowledge and, and then resetting. So thank you both for sharing that. Um, now I'd like I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like each one of those 20 rejections wasn't painful. They were, and you know, they kind of take the starch out of your sail yeah. and you have to come back and regroup. So it's not like you just go, Oh great. Another rejection. What can I learn? And there's a sting that comes with it but you either decide that the sting is too much and you're not going to try again, or you decide that you've learned something and you're willing to try again. Yes, I, I can see that. And that has been true of my own experience as well. Gosh, thank you for sharing that. I'd like to, to turn the conversation back to when the initial offer for your, your company came in. How did you feel about that? I know you mentioned being surprised, but tell me more about that. Well, I guess we were shocked the most, but then it's also you have to sit down and kind of do an analysis. The, the price they were offering was so, for all practical purposes, ridiculous to what we valued it at and what we thought a realistic valuation could be made based off the principles of the business. That, you know, we really had no choice but to take it. It wasn't a first choice. I mean, we would love to have kept the business and then potentially had our kids grow into it, expanded into other things. But... It was just a ridiculous price. And obviously, time has proven that those prices were ridiculous. So, you know, we took it, uh, got the closing done, and it really was just shock. I mean, Patricia and I were 
physically and mentally shocked when the closing was finally over. The other way I would put it is um, we didn't intend to sell, but when someone made the offer to sell, I would imagine it's something like when a person first starts to consider getting divorced, you start thinking about all the bad things, mm-hmm. like 70 employees and having to be resident babysitters sometimes, or the fact that every inch of snow here in the Midwest cost us $5,000. Yeah. Um, it was uh, the number of things that sort of you do the tally, what's on each side, and you just say, oh, well, maybe life would be a little bit easier without having 2,000 residents or 70,000, uh, or excuse me, 70 employees. And so once I think you start thinking that way, then your head turns a different direction. Yeah. How would you and Mike recommend that other CEOs prepare for a merger or an acquisition process, Patricia? Well, Wendy, I would say there are absolutely two things that you would have to have in place in order to have a smooth go. And the first is that you really want to make sure you have clean books. Because if you have a clean set of financials, clean books, everything, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, the due diligence process is much easier. The second thing I think that gave us a good deal of comfort is we had a really great attorney in whom we trusted. Mm. Um, And then once you have those two things sort of like in place, then I think the process really requires coaching your employees, you can't keep this a secret. They're going to know. And they're going to have their own emotions and concerns about the M&A process and about their ultimate fate, what happens after you sell. And I think being able to coach them through their own set of concerns, at the same time keeping them focused on the day-to-day operation is really key. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Mike, anything you want to add to that? I just think that a lot of people are going to be asking to do things, you know, investment advisors, um, investment opportunities, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about it. Just don't do anything until you're comfortable. Take, there's no rush. Right. You have the funds. Put someplace safe. Just sit on. Right. You know, it's not going to hurt you at all to do nothing for six months or a year until you figure it all out. And then when you do decide to do something, do very, very small investments for a while. I mean, don't do anything big. Small pieces. That's great. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. So let me ask you this. What next steps, or if you'd share with the listeners, because, of course, I have some idea, but what next steps did the two of you take after your your vacation and took some time to kind of reflect and reset you can uh, Well, we, you know, I think we did not have, if anything, the plan that you would hope to have. Uh, we were kind of in a situation where we wouldn't travel because of the kids, and we didn't really want to get involved in a lot of other things because of the economy and things of that nature. Ultimately, we decided that it was at least our best interest. Patricia started uh, what she's doing, which is working out well, and I got involved in some venture capital 
projects, which I'm doing now. That's great. And, and Patricia, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Uh, yeah. A couple of years after we sold the business, I had a friend approach me and asked me if I would uh, come to work with her as a uh, managing writer for her contracting business. And I did that for a year and a half, maybe, and really enjoyed it. Some other things happened in our personal lives. Mike had a surgery, my mom had cancer, and I ended up resigning the position. But I really enjoyed writing. And so um, just this last 18 months, I decided to formalize the writing that I often do for friends and for business associates and launched my own company. And listeners, I have to tell you that Patricia has written all of the copy on my website and LinkedIn profile. She is just an amazingly gifted wordsmith. So uh, if anyone out there is in need of wordsmithing, Patricia, how could they get in touch with you? Wendy, thank you very much. That means a lot to me. And I have thoroughly enjoyed working with you and seeing the direction that your business has taken. This is very exciting. Um, if your listeners were interested in learning more about my services, they could email me at prp at com. Oh, that's great. Okay, one last question. Ten years from now, the two of you are reflecting back what are you most proud of? I think our kids. That's first. We've got. It's crazy because all three of them just got home uh, from college, and they're all sitting around waiting on their grades. So that's kind of a tense little moment. But they've all done extremely well, and we're very happy and very proud of our kids. I mean, that's kind of the fundamentals that I hope most people. Would yeah, I would agree. It's uh, family first, and then in professional terms, I think. Uh, what I would be most proud of is the fact that Mike and I really did build a business from the ground up. Had a hammer, not much more than a hammer, and turned it into a business that we ultimately sold successfully. Well, I, I think the legacy that the two of you have created, it, not only with your business, but with your family and your partnership, is, is one that we can all learn a lot from. I cannot thank you both enough for taking the time today to, to spend um, sharing your experiences and your learnings. It isn't often that business owners have the opportunity to hear that inside view firsthand. So thank you both so much. And Tribe, thanks for listening. So any party, last remarks, Mike and Patricia? Thank you for chatting with us and uh, really enjoy talking to you as always. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye.